Hey, good morning again, guys. Uh, I'm going to just give us a quick live version of the, the loop today. Um, we should have done a video version of it with Eric in Spain or France, wherever he's at, but we didn't, so I'm sorry. But uh, just some quick announcements for you. Uh, the, September 28th and 29th, we've got a guy named Daryl Strawberry coming to the Bullet Campus to speak, and it's going to be awesome. Uh, if you don't know who Daryl Strawberry is, he was an amazing baseball player in like back all the way in the 80s and 90s and uh, won World Series titles and all this stuff. Uh, but God's got a cool story in his life. He, he got into to drug use and things like that, and God just flipped his life around, and he's, he's going to be able to tell us um, just all that God has done in him, and it's going to be cool, I think. And so uh, here's what we're kind of suggesting to you guys. If you have a friend that uh, doesn't come here, that you, you're like, man, they would love to go and hear Daryl Strawberry, take them to Beloit that weekend. Take them either Saturday night or Sunday morning. Uh, we're going to have services here Sunday morning like usual, but man, take a friend over there. I'm going to probably try to go there that Saturday night because uh, it's Daryl Strawberry. I mean, come on, really. So, but we're going to have him on video here uh, on Sunday morning, the 29th. So uh, there's that. And then the next thing I want to let you know about, uh, just keep on reminding you, we are going to be starting our kids midweek uh, at Wilson Elementary, October 2nd. So that first week of October is the first one we're going to do. And the reason we continue to let you know about this is I've, we've had a couple people who are, who are going to be volunteering this year that weren't last year. It is just a really great thing if you've got the time for it. I know it's a weird time frame. Wednesday is about 3.15 to 5.15. Um, but any time in there, if you can come and just help us by being around these kids and being an adult figure that will love them, that is a good thing. And so if you're interested in, in, hey, what does that look like, Kellen, for me to help out? Come and talk to me. I'd love to give you more information on that. All right? Um, let's pray and then just kind of go into the word here. Lord, I thank you for uh, everything that you have in store for us this morning. God, I pray that you'd speak uh, what it is that you're wanting to speak. Uh, speak through me, uh, the, the words that you've given me today, and I just pray that uh, you will uh, guide us into more understanding and knowledge of you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in this series called Battle Ready, and life is a battle. So many things in life are a battle. For some of you this morning, just to get out of bed, it was an absolute battle. Um, I, I've always been one of those people, I've tried, I've gotten better at it, but I've been one of those like three to five to 12 snooze buttons kind of person, okay? Uh, how many of you are a snoozer? Yeah, you are my kind of people. I, I did it a lot in college. My college roommate hated me, and he pulled the plug one time on my alarm clock, and I didn't get to class. It's not a fun situation. Um, but we have, these are battles that sometimes we have to deal with. We have to deal with it with our kids. Some of us had kids that went back to school in the last week or so, and you're trying to get your kids up, and it's a pain in the butt. My, uh, my kids are actually pretty good about it, except Sadie is probably my one that struggles a little bit. And I've been actually calling her a python lately. She's this kid that she will, she'll grab a hold of you, and she doesn't just, like, hold on with her arms. She wraps her legs around you, and it's just, you, like, I love hugs, but sometimes it's a little much, and so I'm, like, ripping her legs off, and then I get to her arms, and she just wraps her legs back around me, and it's just this constant battle. And so it's the same thing when I try to wake her up in the morning. She's, like, cuddled up in this little python-like looking thing, and you, you're like, honey, wake up, and you just, you kind of pull her arms out to try to get her, and she just... The moment you let go, she just goes right back in. It's, a, it's awful. 
Other battles we have, I battle procrastination. Anybody else battle procrastination? I have a toilet in my house that for about a year and a half, it has needed to be fixed. The insides, like, don't work right, and so water doesn't go into the toilet the right way, so you have to flush it a couple times. And it's really uncomfortable for people who come and visit, and we don't tell them that. Um, but what happens, like, I've known, and I've, I, like, I need to fix it. I guess I'm waiting for my wife to fix it or something one day. That's not going to happen. But I'll flush it, and then, well, it didn't flush, so I'll go wash my hands. And then you can't, like, can't touch the flusher again after you've washed your hands. So it's this foot thing, and I'm, like, pulling muscles just flushing my toilet because I'm a procrastinator. I don't want to fix it. There was one upstairs that needed to get fixed, and it took me two years. I had the stuff to fix it for two years. I just fixed it like a month ago. So I'm like two years down the road to fix this one. Um, we have battles in life. And one of those battles that I love more than anything, I love competition. I love sports. That's why I'm super pumped about the game today. Uh, that's why I, love, I, was, I watched the doubleheader for the Twins yesterday. I just love sports. I love that tough game where you've got to come with your A game or else you know you're just going to lose. One thing I, I've never liked Back to my days of coaching, I hated having to scout teams. I hated having to watch game film. I would tell people, like, man, I watched my girls play this game, and they were awful. I don't want to have to watch it again. Like, I, it would, like, turn my gut having to watch game film when we were awful. But sometimes you got to do it. And so I'd bring the girls into a, into a classroom, and we'd watch game film. And they would always, they'd always pay attention to the things that I didn't care about. Like, I'm wanting to wa them watch how bad they were at boxing out. And they're like, hey, coach, can you rewind that? Our girl just tripped. I'm like, I don't care if she tripped and can't run up the court. It's not helping us. There was one time, about 20 seconds into the game film, a couple of girls are just like, hey, coach, are we really that slow? <laughs> and, like, I wanted to deny it. And I had things in my house like, well, you know, the camera adds 10 seconds to the time up the court. I didn't. But I, I had nothing. I'm like, yeah, you're slow. I'm sorry. We, if we're going to battle in competition, we got to do something to, to be our best, to have our A game. And it's an awful feeling when we come to a battle with our C game. And Paul, in Ephesians chapter 6, in this series we've been talking about, about battle ready, we've been looking at Ephesians 6, and he is trying to coach us to help us get battle ready. And this battle that he has, that he has in mind, it is a spiritual battle. He, we got this spiritual battle. He wants us to get ready for it. And so in Ephesians chapter 6, he does the best coaching that he can. He wants us to build these spiritual muscles that we have. And we have spiritual muscles. We have things that we can do. God has done so much for us through what Jesus did on the cross. But sometimes there's something that we, we've got to do something to build up these spiritual muscles. And so we've already looked at, at a portion of this, this talk that Paul has about the armor of God in Ephesians 6. A couple weeks ago, I talked about the belt of truth and how we have, to, we have to continually remind ourselves of what is actually true in everyday life, what Jesus has actually done for us. Uh, last week, Eric was talking about, and did a really good job about talking just kind of generally how this is a spiritual battle, and it's a battle that's fought differently than any other battle. It's really fought with humility, and it's fought with submission. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at Ephesians 6, verses 16 and 17. In these two verses, I think Paul does an, ex an excellent job of just trying to get us battle ready. 
trying to get us to build ourselves up, to get ready for this, this incredible competition that we have, this battle that we have. Paul doesn't want us just to go into this battle wishing and hoping that things are going to turn out. And so I want you to read with me here Ephesians chapter 6, verses 16 and 17. Paul says, In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. You know, when I think of battle, I, the, it's funny. The first thing that comes to my mind is not like a, a battlefield, a, a war. The first thing that always comes to my mind are the, the sports things that I've been involved with, whether it's my team, uh, my Vikings or my twins or, or a team that I've been on. My, my two sports that I loved the most in high school were cross country and basketball. And my first love was basketball. But what's really weird about it is when it came to those two sports, between cross-country and basketball, before I was going to either be in a cross-country meet or a basketball game, one of those I got more nervous for than the other. And it wasn't basketball. And so you might, okay, Kellen, why would, why would you get more nervous for cross-country? Do you actually just not like running? And, and so you're, uh, no, I love running. Okay, is it those short shorts you got to wear? Yeah, as a part of it. Those things are nasty. They're awful. Nowadays, kids, they all wear the, you know, the tights. But back in my day, in the, in the 90s, those were not cool. And so we didn't wear the tights. And so you saw just like this pure white on my thighs. And it was just bad. I wear basketball shorts when I run now because I don't want you to see that. But the reason I, get, I really get, would get nervous before a cross-country meet is no matter how much of a team sport it is, you've got teammates. And, and I loved my cross-country teammates. Man, we, would, we had fun together. We would, we'd encourage each other. But man, there's nothing like being on a cross-country course on a run and you're struggling. Your teammates can't do anything to help you. They, cannot, they can't pull you along. They can't put you on your back. Uh, my senior year, I was just running awful. My girlfriend, who became my wife, went to college and I was an emotional wreck and I couldn't run. It had depleted me. And so one of the, the first race of the year, two guys on my team that I beat all the time, they go, I see them go running right past me. I'm like, and they're like, come on, Kellen, come on. I'm like, I can't. They couldn't take me with them. But in a basketball game, if I'm struggling, if I'm not having my best game, I got four other guys on the court who, man, they can, they can take up the slack. My coach can put me on the bench. Like, I just didn't get as nervous. But in that battle when we're all alone, it is terrifying sometimes for us. It's not the place that we want to be. where we, we're, in, we're in a serious situation and man, you're all on your own. And Paul, in this, this first verse that we looked at, verse 16 of Ephesians 6, he actually does something here, and, and it's tough to, to, to really get it until we read into the situation a little more. But he is telling us that we have a group of people to help us. He talks about this shield of faith. And so look in, let's look into the backstory a little bit about what he means by a shield of faith. For Roman soldiers in Paul's time, there were two kinds of shields that they would use in their fight. One of those shields was, it was just a very small, round kind of shaped shield. And it was a great shield for being in hand-to-hand -hand combat. You could move it around, it was light. Um, so if you were fighting mano y mano, that's the shield that you'd use. But the shield that he's talking about here, it's a different kind of shield. It's a big shield. It's actually an oblong-shaped shield. It's about four and a half feet high by two feet wide. And what would happen is the Roman soldiers, they would go into battle as an army together with these shields. 
they would march towards the, the army that they were going to be going up against. And they would be just side by side by side next to each other with these shields. And the shield would cover their whole body and there was no gap in between because they were doing it as a team. And Paul's talking about that's the kind of shield of faith that we're supposed to have. If we have this shield of faith, it's going to do a couple things. Number one, it's going to give us a cover. It's going to cover our entire body. There's no break in between where an arrow is going to get through. The second thing is it, it's linked up with the faith of other people. This shield is meant to be linked up with the faith of other people. And so if those two things happen, if we've got this shield that covers us completely and we've got this link with other people, all these arrows that the enemy is going to shoot our way, they're just going to hit that shield and they're going to fall down. I love, that's, you know, studying this, this, that was the first time that I looked at the shield of faith with that understanding. And it's, it's a cool way of seeing that, I think. Paul's saying, this shield of faith, it is your protection. Your faith is your protection, and it's most effective when linked with other people's faith. Your faith is your protection. But the faith that he's talking about, it is a, it's, what it is, it's a general confidence in God. It's this confidence that no matter what goes on around me, God is, God is going to be in control. I'm, I don't have to be in control. He's going to be in control. But it's also a faith that gets stronger when we learn to trust our teammates. When we learn to trust other people who are in the same battle with us, in the same faith with us. Uh, as a pastor, uh, especially as a youth pastor growing up, uh, you know, you've got these teenagers for the last like 17 years. I've been trying to pastor teenagers. And one of those things that I've always wanted is I, I've just always wanted, especially kids, to be at church activities, whatever we're doing. And at times, I'm going to be honest with you, it feels like I'm trying to manipulate people to get to stuff. But the reason that a pastor would want people to come to stuff, sometimes, you know, if we're being honest, maybe it's because we, we have this superficial understanding of our importance as people that when people are at a church thing, it makes us feel good. Or maybe it's just because, hey, I like you and I want you to be at church stuff. But the, the true reason why I want to see kids at, at a church activity is because I believe that we, as we link up together, it strengthens our faith. There's something strong in that. And whenever one person's not there, something's missing. If I'm not there with you, there is, like, there is this part of the shield for all of us that's missing. If you're not there with me, part of that shield is missing. I think that church is not always just about singing worship songs or hearing a message that maybe inspires us to live more the way God wants. I think it's meant to be this, this shield of faith that we come together and we are helping each other out. And that's what Paul's trying to say here. And he talks about this shield of faith, and then he says that if this shield of faith is there, what it's going to do is it's going to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. And when I, think, when I think about that verse, man, it makes me think about my favorite books, The Lord of the Rings, and then you watch the movies, and you've got, you've got these guys who are they're going after the enemy, and I think of it like us. We've got this army of people following Jesus, and we're just walking slowly towards the enemy with our shields up. And those flames, those, those flaming arrows, what they are, it's our temptation. It's the temptation that Satan's trying to fling at us. And we're walking close, close in hand with each other, and those shields are just 
making those arrows fall down. The shield of faith is meant to protect us against Satan as our tempter. Temptation is this thing where the enemy is trying to get us to live in opposition to God. And each arrow is that temptation. Each temptation is an arrow that we've got to, we've got to have a shield up for. And so one of these preparations that we have to have when it comes to this battle that we're in, this spiritual battle, we have to prepare. We have to study and we have to know the arrows that Satan wants to use against us. Do you know the temptations that Satan is continually trying to throw your way? And this is like studying game film. We don't always like to do it. But to be at our best, we need to study this game film. Where are your weaknesses? What arrows have gotten through in the past? Maybe gotten through the shield or there was no shield there. What arrows gotten through? Who are the people in your life that can maybe you could bring alongside to kind of shore up that shield in your life? Maybe your temptation is to think poorly of yourself. Maybe your temptation is always feeling guilty about stuff. That's a temptation because that temptation is taking you away from the way that God is wanting you to see things, that he is full of forgiveness. Maybe you need to bring people alongside that can remind you, ah, you're forgiven. Maybe your temptation is more like my kind of temptation, the temptation to constantly put your foot in your mouth. It's always there every day of my life. My wife has made me, she's been a part of that shield for me. She's helped to see those, those temptations, those arrows like, Kellen, shh. She's really good at that. My sister did that for me this morning. We were, before worship practice, I was saying something. She's like, are you just going to ever stop talking this morning? Thank you, sister, for being that shield for me. I need that. We all need that, right? We need to study the game film of Satan's schemes against us. How and when does he try to attack you? Is it when you're alone? Is it when you're in a group? Is it late at night? Is it early in the morning? Is it the things that you see or the things that you hear, the things that you say? And then be willing to let people come around you and help to be that shield for you. So that's, that's verse 16 that Paul's talking about. Now, let's go to verse 17. And Paul talks about this thing that he calls the helmet of salvation. What do we do with a helmet? We put a helmet on our head. What do we do with our head? Hopefully, we think. And so Paul's telling us, we've got to put a helmet over this thinking. We've got to protect this way of thinking. And in, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, he actually calls this helmet the hope of our salvation. See, we have to protect our thinking because our enemy, Satan, is called a, de- a deceiver. That's what he is. That's one of the first things that we see him doing in the Bible. He goes to, to Eve in the Garden of Eden, and he deceives her. He gets her to to go ahead and eat from the fruit, the fruit from the tree that she's not supposed to eat from. In Genesis 3, what what happens is Eve is talking to Satan. She says to him, yeah, God did say you must not eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you'll die. You will certainly, you will not certainly die, the serpent told the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. Adam and Eve had every other tree in this garden that was theirs to eat. And Satan deceived her into taking fruit from the one tree that she wasn't supposed to. 
And it was that tree that she began to believe that that was where all her dreams and hopes were going to be fulfilled. See, what he did there is he deceived her. He deceived her about what her future promise was all about, what her future destiny was all about. He's saying, no, the thing that you hear that is good, it ain't good. But the thing that you're hearing isn't good, that's good. He's trying to deceive us about what our future destiny is. It's like when he tells that kid, hey, kid, why don't you lie to your parents right now so you can get everything that you want? Or he tells that older person, hey, older person, Cheat on your taxes so you can buy that grill that you want. It's all going to work out fine. And it's a deception about the things that we have, that we see about our future destiny. So Paul's answer for this is, remember your destiny in Jesus. Remember your destiny in Jesus. Remember, Paul talks about in 1 Thessalonians 5.8, he talks about this helmet of salvation as being our hope of salvation. It's this hope in the eternity what Jesus has done for us, the forgiveness, the cleansing, the, the everything that he's given to us. As we remember that, these deceptions that Satan's trying to put before us, they don't look so, so tempting. But if we're going to be honest with ourselves, all of these things so far that we've talked about in this armor of God, they're defense mechanisms. It's just things to try to keep kind of keep Satan back. But I'm telling you, sometimes we need an offense. With my kids at home, uh, sometimes I'll come to them and be like, hey, it's time for you to get off your devices. Go outside and play a little bit. And I'm going to be honest with you, it doesn't feel like I have much offense in this situation. It'd be like an offense thing would be where I could go, hey, get off your devices. There's a fair outside. Go out and play on the merry-go-round in the Ferris wheel. Like that would be, that'd be an offense. They'd be like, oh, that sounds really cool. But for them, I say, hey, get off your device. And they're like, why should I? It's so fun. And outside, it's like sunny and hot. And all I've got for them is like, here's why you should. So you don't become lazy and die of heart disease when you're 35. And to them, that doesn't feel great. It feels, it feels like defense. Like, I'm just trying to protect them from something down the road in the future. But the thing that they've got right now, it's, yeah, that's better. But what I'm telling you is, Paul gives us now in this next part of Ephesians 17, six, chapter 6, verse 17, he gives us some offense. He says, you get to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And I love that he calls it a sword because it's obvious, man, I get to go on offense. But what happens here, uh, he's letting us fight back. He's saying, here you go. You get to fight back, but you need to fight back with pieces of scripture. This is what I love about this, okay? He's talking about we got to use scripture. When, when the term word of God is used in, in the New Testament, this word, word, is usually, the word for it that's used is usually logos, okay? And that word, what it really means is it means Jesus Christ. It means that Jesus is the ultimate He's everything. He brings order to this world. And so John actually uses it in John chapter 1, verse 1. He says, In the beginning was the Logos, the Word, and the Word, Logos, was with God, and the Logos, the Word, was God. And so he's saying that this Word, all the time, it's Jesus. But in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul does something different. He uses a different word for Word. He uses the word Rima. 
And what I love about this is this word rima, it means a small portion of words, a few distinct words. And so what he's saying is, John 3.16 is a rima. It, for, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Romans 5.8 is a rima. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And what Paul is saying is he's saying that we need to use pieces of Scripture, little sayings from Scripture, as our enemy, as our sword, to fight back against Satan. I think that's so cool. And so in his own way, that Paul's being like our coach, and he's saying, you need to study the playbook if you want to have an offense that can defeat your opponent. So if you're the Packers today, you've got to study the playbook if you want to have a good enough offense to beat the amazing Vikings defense. It's not going to happen. Barr's going to do some damage today. I can feel it. Okay? Got to study the playbook. The greatest weapon that we have are these little remas, these little pieces of Scripture to literally spit back in the face of Satan as our offense. And so before we're done today, I want to go through a little portion of, of Matthew chapter 4 where Jesus actually uses these sort of remas, these portions of Scripture to fight back against Satan. And so in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus has gone out into the wilderness, and he is being tempted for 40 days by Satan. He's, he's, he's fasting, and at the, I guess at the end of the 40 days, he gets tempted. And so this is shortly after, in Matthew chapter 3, Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River by his cousin John. And we get to, to Matthew chapter 4, and Satan is trying to tempt Jesus. But Jesus spits back all of these remas, these pieces of Scripture, at Satan. And so in Matthew 4, verse 3, Satan tells Jesus, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Okay, let's have a little backstory again here. Let's go back to Matthew 3, verse 17. Jesus has just gotten baptized, and he's coming up out of the water. And do you remember maybe what, what is said from out in the sky? There's a voice that comes down from heaven. And what happens is a voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. And so now Satan is coming at Jesus and saying, Wait, you are not the son of God. If you really are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus fights off this lie with scripture. Matthew 4, 4. Jesus answers, It is written... Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, he's, he quoted at Satan, he quoted Deuteronomy 8.3. He's fighting back Satan's lies with Scripture, with the truth that comes from Scripture. And so now Satan's getting upset. And Satan realizes Jesus is using Scripture against him. And so Satan, he starts to twist Scripture. He starts to take Scripture out of context. And he tells God, and he tells Jesus, hey, Throw yourself from this cliff, and God will save you. Test God in this. See, he's taken apart of Scripture, and he's taken it out of context, and Jesus knows it. And so he fights Scripture that's being taken out of context with Scripture in the right context. And so in Matthew 4, 7, Jesus says, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. He's quoting Deuteronomy 6.16. What he's saying is, you know what? Satan, I'm not supposed to test God right now. This test is for me. I'm not supposed to test God the Father. I'm supposed to trust my Father. And so he throws back Scripture at him. Now Satan's gotten really upset. He's like, I got to get Jesus somehow. 
And so he comes to Jesus again and he says, I will give you more than what God can give you. If you will bow down to me, I'll give you everything that you could ever want and more. And Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6.13 this time. Matthew 4.10 says, Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I love how Jesus uses pieces of scripture as his offense against Satan. But he had to know scripture. Now I'm going to be honest with you. I have a general knowledge, I think, of scripture. I, I, I love the fact, like I've been a, a pastor for 17 years, so I've been teaching, and, and it, it makes me have to look at scripture more than I probably would. And so I feel like I've gotten a, a general knowledge of scripture, but I don't, it's not very specific. I don't have a ton of stuff memorized. But thank God for this thing called Google. And I know a little bit about a verse, and I'll write like four words of the verse in, put it into Google, and it pops out the whole verse for me that I want to see. It really helps with when you're putting together a sermon, right? But maybe we're supposed to, maybe we're supposed to work a little bit harder at knowing Scripture a little bit more. Maybe, we should, maybe memorizing, memorizing Scripture needs to be a little bit more of our, our weaponry. But, you know, you might be saying, I can't memorize scripture. I can't even remember my kids' names. I get it. Me neither. I go through all four of them before I get to the right one. Memorizing, I get that it's tough. But maybe, maybe we need to look at what are the temptations that Satan most uses against you. Those are the temptations that you need to arm yourself with scripture the most to fight back with. Um, I love Michael Jordan as a basketball player. I think he's the best basketball player of all time. If you want to come and try to tell me LeBron is, I'm, I'm going to make you feel silly, okay? The reason Michael Jordan was the best basketball player is two things. He had the greatest will to win, I think, of any athlete I've ever watched. But the second thing was, guy had the best go-to move always. When he was young, he was so quick, he could drive by anybody, and then his hops, guy could just dunk over anybody he wanted to. It was a pretty nice thing to be able to do. When he came back from his first retirement, he perfected, this go-to move that nobody could stop. It's called a turnaround fadeaway jump shot. It's probably, the only other thing that probably matches it in terms of difficulty to stop was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar shooting this sky hook. He was like 7-2 and he, it was ridiculous. Michael Jordan was dominant because he had a go-to move. Maybe you and me need a go-to move. Maybe you and me, we need a verse or two or three verses that's in this bag of tricks that we have as a go-to move that can go against the lies that Satan wants to throw at us. I say it a lot. Romans 5.8 is my favorite verse in the Bible. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the reason it's my favorite verse in the Bible is because when I was younger, I dealt with this thing where I always felt like I was the biggest jerk, the most awful person, that nobody could, would really want to be my friend, that I'm unforgivable. And I fought, I fought that. And this verse gave me ammunition against that lie. No, even while I'm in my worst place as a sinner, Christ died for me. That's real good ammunition against this idea that I'm not good enough. It's a weapon against self-loathing. We need weapons to fight with. I think Jesus wants us to be confident in this battle that we are in. Uh, worship team, you guys can start to make your way up here. Uh, he wants us to be confident. 
He wants us to know that we don't have to be alone, that we have a, a body of believers that can be this shield for us to help us knock down these arrows of temptation. He also wants us to know that we've got this helmet of salvation for our lives, that we can look at everything in life through the context of what Jesus did for us on that cross. But he's also given us scripture. He's given us these little remas, these little, these little words of scripture that we can fight back the lies of Satan with. Jesus has done all the heavy work for us. He went to the cross. He died on, on that cross for our sins to give us freedom and forgiveness. He rose from the dead. He gives us life. Even for those of us who we feel like we're in this death grip, there is life for us because of what Jesus did on the cross and that he rose from the dead. But even though God has done everything for us, the truth is, is that we got to do something. Where are you in need of fortifying your walls? Where do you need to fortify yourself spiritually? Do you need to enlist in the help of other believers to help be your shield? Do you need to remember what your destiny in Jesus really is? Do you need to learn to fight back against Satan and those temptations that he throws at you with scripture that breathes life against that lie? Cool thing here is God has given us all the access that we need to the armor of God in this battle, in this spiritual battle. The question for us this morning is this. Am I making use of what God has given me for the spiritual battles that I'm facing? Am I making use of what God's given me to fight this battle? Why don't you pray with me?